Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome, everyone, to episode 35 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and today you are in luck because we are starting a four-week series called, drumroll, Money, Grace, and Extravagant Generosity. Now wait, don't hang up. Stay with me. You see, I understand that we all have varying degrees of openness to this conversation and that the name of this podcast is Calm Words for Anxious Hearts not high blood pressure for anxious people. That the point of this podcast is not to make us more edgy, but rather to help us to relax. And so here's what I want to say about that. I think we can get there together. And in fact, the way to get there is to tackle this subject matter head on. Now, if there is a part of you that gets a little cynical when preachers talk about money, I get it. And so your cynical side is fully welcome here. But remember, our cynicism plays an important role in our life, or at least it can, but our cynicism also doesn't define the fullness of who we are. But it does tend to show up when anyone speaks to us about money and giving. And so I encourage you to acknowledge the inner cynic, to offer him or her a cup of tea and say, you're welcome to voice your opinion and to weigh in. But at the same time, I'm also going to ask you to access your inner wisdom, which is that part of you that knows that this is actually a very important conversation and that it will be calming to the extent that we can lean into the truth of what generosity is, where generosity comes from, and why generosity is our birthright. And so let's start the conversation with a reading from Scripture, a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 and 19 through 31. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard what Jesus had said, they ridiculed him. So Jesus told them a parable. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames." But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. 
but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will also not come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Here ends the reading. Now, I want to start today's episode by asking a pretty basic question. What is our religion? Now, this may seem like a surprising and foolish question. After all, we sing Christian hymns, we recite Christian creeds, we break bread in the name of Jesus Christ. What is our religion? We're Christians. Well, yes, but when I use the word religion in the context of this podcast, I mean it in a more literal sense. You see, the word religion is derived from the Latin legare, a verb meaning to bind or to connect. And so if we're going to be literalists, our religion is what we have bound or connected our hearts to in the hope that it will give us something in return, peace, comfort, prestige, safety, etc., etc. In other words, our functional religion is what we rely on, what we trust to make us feel secure. And so what is that for us? And as you ponder that question with me, I want to tell you a story. I spent the summer of 2006 working as a hospital chaplain after my first year of seminary. This is called the CPE Experience, which stands for Clinical Pastoral Education. And to this day, I am haunted by the memory of the first patient I ever visited, a 91-year-old woman named Mary. Now, as part of our clinical pastoral education experience, we had to write verbatims or transcripts of our conversation with the people we visited, and we would then process those conversations with our learning cohort later that week. And so this is what I said about my experience talking to Mary, what I wrote all those years ago. She is bitter, alone, and she trusts no one. Mary believes that she has been hospitalized so that her family may spend her savings. Mary is intent upon the idea that she is an exploited victim of a greedy family. There is no person on earth that she loves or trusts, not one. Now, if these words give you chills, listen to the words of Mary herself. What I just shared was my analysis, but these words come directly from Mary. I hate my family. They mean nothing to me. I am here because they want my money. They want everything I worked for. For themselves, they are dead to me. Now, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. This is a real conversation I had with a real person in one of the first pastoral visits I ever made when I was 25 years old. And the only reason I was able to dig up this conversation is because I remember it so well and in particular, how Mary's heart was so bound and so connected to her stockpile of wealth that she found herself alienated 
from her family, from the people that she loved the most, or at least had at one time in her life. Now, I don't doubt that Mary's family had a role in all of this, but what was really clear to me in that moment is that money is what Mary relied on, what she served, what she trusted to make her feel secure. Money was her religion. And when it mattered the most in Mary's life, the money she loved turned out to be a false god and completely failed her. Now, that said, this story about Lazarus and the rich man, it was originally addressed as a wake-up call to people whom Jesus intuited were practicing the wrong religion, to people whose heart was bound or tied to something other than God. Now, the audience of this parable are the Pharisees, who we're told are lovers of money. And when Jesus tells these leaders of his day that you cannot serve God and money, they ridicule Jesus. Now, in ridiculing Jesus for his teaching on money, they're not trying to be mean. Rather, they're just upholding what was then the dominant religious view of the day, which basically said that having lots of money was a sure sign of God's favor. People get rich when God is pleased with them, which means that poverty is a sign of punishment. And so when the Pharisees encountered someone like Lazarus, starving for food, covered in sores, freezing, and alone, they naturally assumed that God's justice was at work. If Lazarus is not a sinner, his parents sure were. That was their basic belief. You see, the Pharisees sang all the right hymns, and they recited all the right creeds, and they went through all the right rituals. But Jesus is crystal clear about one thing. Their heart was not connected to the heart of God, that something had been lost along the way. And so, what is it that went wrong? Well, I think that what happened to the Pharisees is the same thing that so often happens to us. Namely, they forgot their story. You see, God chose Israel because they were the smallest, the poorest, and the weakest. God chose Israel because they were slaves. God chose Israel because they longed to satisfy their hunger with the food that fell from Pharaoh's table, who feasted sumptuously every day while they starved to death. For this reason, God chose Israel and brought them to the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in their new land, I want you to listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 15, 11. Open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. In other words, God says, I chose you because you were poor. And so you must love the poor. I chose you because you were needy. So you must love the needy. I chose you because I'm generous. And so you, you also now get to live a life of generosity. You see, the Pharisees' basic problem wasn't so much with how they saw the poor, but rather with how they saw themselves. Forgetting that God chooses to save the poor the Pharisees naturally lost sight of how poor they really were and where true riches were to be found. And what I observe is that the same thing so easily can happen to us. 
I mean, right? We live in a world that teaches us to rely or to find security in things with no power to save us. And our lives too easily become a race in pursuit of something superficial, money being the most obvious example. Now, is money bad? No, of course money isn't bad, but to rely on money, to trust in money as our ultimate security, this, my friends, leads to all sorts of mess in our life and in our world. And so whenever we find ourselves loving money, not holding money in its proper perspective, I would say that 100% of the time it's because we too have forgotten our story. The Apostle Paul reminds us in his second letter to the Corinthians, For you know the generous act, the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. In other words, God himself, the source of all wealth, became poor. God himself, the source of all life, tasted death. The God of our hymns, the God of our creeds, the God revealed in the bread we break, was himself broken, stripped naked, covered in sores, and starving for food for us. Because the truth is, there is not one person listening to this episode today who can identify with Lazarus. And I thank God for that. What an amazing gift. There are many Lazaruses in our world, and God cares deeply about every single one of them. But on the other hand, regardless of our net worth, we're also not the rich man. Now, as this parable comes to an end, what we're invited to see is that every single one of us stands in the place of the five brothers meaning that each one of us gets to write our own ending to this parable. But unlike the brothers, we have more than Moses and the prophets because someone, in fact, has risen from the dead. And that someone of our hymns, our creeds, and our communion invites us to bind our hearts and to connect our souls to the kingdom he came to proclaim. And at the end of the day, That is what this conversation about generosity is all about. And so let me end by saying this. I recently heard a story about a man who bought a home with a bamboo stand near his driveway. He decided to get rid of it, so he cut it down, took an axe to its roots, and smashed them into little pieces. He then dug down further to remove as much of the root system as he could and He even poured a plant poison over what remained. Finally, he filled the hole with gravel and paved over it with cement. But a year or so later, this man noticed something. There was a little green bamboo shoot pushing up through the cement. He had tried so hard to stamp it out and indeed done everything he could, but the bamboo was unquenchable and could not be killed. Its nature was to push upward, to grow, to live, and to find expression. I believe that you and I have something like that bamboo in the depths of our soul, and the word we're going to use to describe that something these next few weeks is generosity. And this generosity, I believe, is who we are at our core as people made in the image of a very generous God. And though the world seeks to poison that generosity inherent to our being, 
to dig it up and rip it out and pave over it with cement, there nevertheless seems to be something inside of us that is unquenchable. And it can be forgotten or ignored, but it cannot be killed. Something within us is alive and green and tenacious, always pushing upward, wanting to grow, to live, to find expression, all to bear witness to a generous God in whose image we are made. And that is what we're going to explore together these next few weeks. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you taught us that the meaning of life consists in giving, and that those who cling too tightly to what they have without thought of you or others end up losing everything. You offered us new values by which to measure the worth of a person's life. Help us to realize that it's not temporal success or riches or fame that gives life meaning. Rather, it's the service rendered to you and others that brings fulfillment and makes our lives worthwhile. May all our service help build the kingdom of God, and may our obedience bring true freedom. Our generosity increase love, our sacrifices bear much fruit, and our death lead to eternal life. Amen.